Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Today's guest assures us that there is a way to shop at Costco and not give in to despair. Not sure what Costco is? We'll find out in just a minute. Today's guest also assures us that there is a way to be married and content all at the same time. We'll find out how she does it. Hello, everyone. I'm Pamela Brewer, welcoming you to this edition of Mind Talk. Dana Bowman is an English teacher and part-time professor in the Department of English at Bethany College, Kansas. She is also the creator of the popular Momsy blog at momsyblog.com, and today she's here to discuss her latest book, How to Be Perfect Like Me. Dana, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, me, Pam. I appreciate it. Well, I am delighted to have you here. But, you know, my first and perhaps most important question is, what is Costco, and (laughs) and how how do you navigate it? Well, Costco is like one of those huge big box stores. I don't know if you guys have Sam's or Costco or something like that, but it's basically where you buy everything in bulk, and you have those gigantic – uh, carts that you wheel around or sometimes I feel like they're kind of like a barge that you you know you get and then you buy 50 pounds of quinoa <laughs> and you know two gigantic things of toilet paper and I just can't stand it I hate I it, they drive me crazy so <laughs> so what I always you... felt like oh sorry go ahead you go what do you do when you I... go there or have you stopped <laughs> I have stopped Um, When I first had kids, everyone kept telling me, oh, you've got to go to Costco and get your diapers and get your, you know, and, and the part of it was fueled by this just really innate fear that Lord forbid, what if we ran out of, you know, and then fill in the blank diapers or wipes or food, like, you know, have, have, has anyone ever really run out of food in this household? I think not. Um, but, but we just, I just had this very deep seated fear that if I did run out of diapers, which by the way, had happened at least twice or three times and nobody died, um, that there'd be some sort of gigantic, like black X next to my name and that, you know, there probably would be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And so I would go and stock up at Costco and bring all my stuff home and try to find places to store it. And uh, it just was exhausting, and I finally just was like, this is ridiculous. I hate doing it, and I'm going to just put my foot down and say no. I'm not going to do the bulk shopping thing anymore. And uh, it was kind of like one of my little first steps towards freedom (laughs) as a mom and expressing what I wanted to do as a mom versus what I didn't. And you, you also say that there's a way to be married and content at the same time. And there are many people mm-hmm. who are married and feeling quite discontented, and they don't believe you. <laughs> you know, marriage is like 
it's kind of a, a litmus test for a lot of other things. And um, I do feel like when I first got married, I didn't get married until I was 36 years old, which to some people is like nearly dead, you know, and we, we envisioned ourselves, we would joke, my husband and I, that we would be coming down the aisle with like our walkers, you know, because we were so <laughs> old when we got married. Um, but I really had put marriage up on this huge pedestal of, well, now I have arrived and now everything's going to be fun and wonderful and romantic and I have my life partner and it's all set and good. And, you know, that lasted for probably about a month. And then he started to do things that were annoying. And I was like, what, what's going on? This is not fun anymore. And, you know, it, it is kind of common that you find yourself going down that path where you realize marriage is a lot harder than you thought. Everybody goes through that. But what I had still thought was that I would just be carried by these tides of wonderful emotions towards my husband at all times. And um, I do think that we're kind of sold a bill of goods. And it, a lot of it, I think, is kind of pushed by maybe by social media and the movies and all that, that our feelings are just so strongly attached to our partner and that he or she is the one that is going to help us feel good, you know. And I do love Brian, and I, I am glad that I'm married to him, and he is the person I'm supposed to be married to and all that, but he's not in charge of my feelings anymore. And when I started to let that go and get – I think he was probably profoundly happy when I let that go <laughs> and um, and stopped attaching him to so many strings – then I think our marriage really started to um, get a lot more comfortable. And that, that's a word that a lot of people don't want to talk about in terms of marriage. It's comfortable, which they equate with boring. And guess what? I'm just going to say it. Our marriage is boring at times. And I'm fine with that. I'm totally fine with that because I'll take it. I'd much rather have that than the Tom Cruise, you complete me stuff because Tom Cruise is a little nutty and I just can't do that. <laughs> can't keep up, you know? I think in the book I, I compare it to a, a Nicolas Cage movie. Like, I don't want my marriage to be a Nicolas Cage movie because it's just too exhausting. There's a lot of bad acting and I just really can't keep up. So, Well, speaking <laughs> of your book, uh, tell us, uh, you know, we're, 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 kidding around now but you have written a book that is the title of which is no joke to a lot of people how to be perfect like me you know that there are people who are spending their lives ruining their lives i would suggest trying to be perfect so Mm -hmm. when you say how to be perfect like me is is this the final magic bullet is this the way to finally (laughs) understand how to be perfect in everything Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I And I actually, the title was what came up to me first because I, when I was in my 20s, I used to work at a, a store called Borders Books and I worked the self-help section and it was always really eye-opening to me that people were addicted, I thought, and I, I still maintain this and I kind of am too. I, I love self-help books, but I think people were addicted to self-help. Like they'd come in and buy like 20 books, you know, and you know, how to fix your life in three easy steps and how to um, have world or inner peace. Here's three ways. Like you can't achieve world inner peace in three steps, but whatever. And I, I do feel like, you know, the title is snarky. There's a little bit of sarcasm there, 
Um, but when I wrote this second book, I was dealing with some pretty hard stuff in my own life. I'm a mom in recovery and have been so for a while, but my book perfect talks about my relapse and talk about lack of perfection. Like here I am a sober mom doing recovery and, and I relapse, like I thought I had it all down. I thought I had it good. And then I totally screw up. I dropped the ball. It's really embarrassing and shameful. And that's when I realized, and, and I'm still learning about how much perfectionism had really taken hold in my life. And I think we hold on to perfectionism. You know how like when you pad your resume and you go in and you're having that job interview and they ask you, what's one thing about you that's kind of a bad quality? And then you have to come up with that one good thing <laughs> that sounds bad. You're like, I'm a perfectionist. I work 48 hours a day and I don't need to be paid for it. You know, and you start really padding, padding the book. So you sound awesome. So they'll hire you, right? Well, I think people kind of hold on to perfectionism as that one thing that's kind of a vice, but it's an okay vice. And it was at the bottom of everything for me. It was at the bottom of my drinking behaviors. It was at the bottom of my control issues in my marriage. It was at the bottom and still is lurking um, with my issues with depression and anxiety um, because of my expectations about how I wanted my life to go. And holy cow, I'm still working on it. Um, but it, I, I really did find out and through the second book and through writing it how much um, it is something that I think we need to do battle with. I hope well, that makes sense. It, it, it absolutely does. And now you talk about okay. being a mom, and mm-hmm. it, but you, you, you point out, and I think it's very true, that the moment that your children are born, there's this pressure to be the perfect mom and sometimes it's opposed from without and sometimes from within yeah talk a little bit about that I do feel like um when I first had kids I started staying home and I gave up a job that I loved which is fine I was okay with that but then I got very isolated and I started to reach out via social media um just to connect you know and social media gives you this mixed message and I think it still does of um first of all you're given the images of the quote perfect mom with her kids somebody will post a picture of them sitting down and doing bible study together and they're all like perfect and cute and you know the bibles are out with the coffee cup and the kids are all well dressed and everyone's praying and and adorable (laughs) nobody yeah and nobody's freaking out about who got more cheerios and all that um so i i would see that you know and then at the other side i started getting in the afternoons especially these memes and gifs about you know have a glass of wine it's mom's wine time it's time for you know and and parenting is so hard and you need to relax and enjoy um you know, a a cocktail or two to get through it, which has this underlying message that there's, you must get help with this parenting thing. It's just too hard. But then at the same time, you're being presented with these images that, no, it's not. I just had Bible study with glitter and, and (laughs) glitter is Satan's plaything, by the way. I just, I hate it. Um, Anyhow. So I, I just felt like I don't know which one of these I'm supposed to be, you know, I, I can't do the, 
crafting date with my kids and everyone's happy and then take a picture. Um, but at the same time, I probably need to stop drinking so much because there's some real red flags there. And I would kind of bounce back and forth between the two. And it was very frenetic and exhausting. And it's a mixed message. And, and no mom needs to be given mixed messages in, in her mom life. Momming is hard enough. Like, it's difficult enough to try to figure out without getting two different messages thrown at you all the time. So I, I just do definitely feel like um, I kind of took that and ran with it. And I've been writing about this topic since, oh gosh, I think my first book came out in 2014 and I was writing about it before that. Um, it's not changed. Like we're still being presented with those mixed messages. And I, I just don't feel like it's really getting any better. And so therefore that's why, I wrote Bottled, which was my first book, and that's why I wrote Perfect, and I just continue talking about it and saying there's a middle ground here that is perfectly, quote, acceptable, and you have to fight to find it because as much as we say, you know what, I'm going to stop being a perfectionist and I'm going to stop being a control freak, it is not something that you can do in one day. It takes hard work and practice to work on letting go of expectations at least it did for me and i still have to work on it absolutely absolutely yeah a lot of people get stuck trying to be perfectly not perfect and it just is a exactly can be a horrendous horrendous cycle we're going to take a break and when we come back we're going to continue with dana bowman and we will continue discussing how to be perfect like me Dana, you say in your book that it took a wedding, two babies, and a funeral to help me to help you understand that you needed to get sober. Talk about that a bit. Well, um, I got like I explained earlier when I decided to get married. Um, it was kind of later in life, and Brian and I were both really set in our ways. And at that point in my life, um, I had already started having kind of a bit of a drinking problem, but it was like little tiny red flags, um, but nothing too noticeable. And I even talk about this in Bottled, where there's a chapter that it's called um, I Never Danced on Tables, which is kind of, I was kind of bummed about that. Like I never went to Vegas and got a tattoo or married someone without realizing it. (laughs) Um, I, and I jokingly say that, but you know, I never was getting arrested. I wasn't, I wasn't doing anything. I was under the radar with my drinking and I was very proud of that. Um, and I, even up until, you know, the last days of my addiction, I was drinking alone at home, um, at night, you know? So, um, so I got married and there's some issues there. And then I had these two kids right off one right after another 18 months apart almost to the day and started staying home with them um paired with some really pretty intense postpartum depression as well as depression and anxiety anyhow like that I had always struggled with and still do and 
um, that was tough. And then um, my sweet brother, his um, who was an alcoholic, died from alcoholism. And all of those things happened, you know, kind of all sort of smushed up against each other around the same time. And my relapse um, had occurred. I, I, I don't need to go into it too much because it's in the book. I don't, you know, right. read the book. Um, but they all kind of happened um, tangled up with each other right around the same time that my brother died. The relapse had to happen before his death, but not too long before. And I, it was probably one of the most defining times of my life that relapse. And I don't, I say this with, with much trepidation, but the relapse for me was one of the best things that ever happened. Now I don't like to say that in the sense that if the people who are having issues with alcohol hear that and go, oh, well, fine, let's, let's just go back out and keep drinking. She says relapse is good. <laughs> no, I mean, relapse can kill you, you know? So for me, though, it was seven days of hell and I, or heck, sorry, I said a bad word. Um, <laughs> and then I said a potty word. Um, I just learned so much from those seven days, though. And they were crazy and insane. And they kept, um, when I wrote about it in Perfect, there was so much to learn from just those seven days. And so that's how the book came about. The idea that you would have a relapse, many people who are um, struggling with their own uh, alcohol consumption believe that a relapse is, and are taught that, you know, relapses happen all the time. It's just normal. Don't worry about it. The relapse is not the issue. It's the way you respond to the relapse. That's the issue. What are your thoughts sure. about that concept? Okay. Well, it's a balance. Like I kind of what I said before about the perfectionism thing. Um, you can take that and run with it though. And then relapse and relapse and relapse and relapse. And I know people in recovery who are doing that. And it makes me nervous because that's what my brother did. Hmm. And I think he always kind of gave himself the right to relapse as just another, you know, step in the journey. But there's a problem with that because there will be eventually a time when your body with, without your permission will say, okay, I'm done. And now we're in it and I, you're not going to come back from this. And you don't get to know when that's going to happen. Your body doesn't tell you when that's going to happen. It can happen way sooner than you would think it would happen and you can die. Okay. So you're playing with fire. Um, now that being said <laughs> on the other end of the spectrum, I, if you do relapse, then you don't get, I mean, I, I don't want you to take that and grip onto it and say, I am the worst. I am shameful. I, you know, and just, and, and just hold on to it as quote, the worst thing ever, because that'll keep you in the relapse. So you're right. It is what you do with it. It's, do you, do you learn from it? Do you pick yourself up and move on? And there was a point during my relapse where I know at the at one point during it I was like I'm just going to do this for a few days and then I'm going to go back I'm too stressed I need to drink again to get through quote through the holidays I use the holidays as my excuse and and then there was a moment just a moment and I can remember it very clearly because I had gone back to hiding alcohol in my closet <laughs> you know crazy stuff that people who are intelligent and somewhat with it don't do 
where I'm pouring vodka out of like a plastic bottle in my closet going, yeah, this is normal, Dana, right? And I just remember having this moment where I realized, Dana, if, if you get on this train, you might not be able to get off. And I do believe like that was my higher power saying, you need to shut this down right now because you're, you're going to, if you don't stop now, you're going to die. And I really am grateful that I listened, but it's a balancing act. Yes, relapse happens. Yes, it, it's very normal, um, especially in terms of like alcoholism. Yes, but the opiate addiction, holy cow, it's hard to come back um, from addiction to uh, narcotics and opioids and things like that and, and not relapse. However, the more you do it, the more likely you're not going to come back. So I, I, I don't know. It's hard to explain it without saying just don't do it, please just try to stick to it. Like my dad's in recovery and has been for over 40 years and he never relapsed, not once. And, um, I was always kind of aiming for that, you know, (laughs) I wanted the gold star, but I have a silver star, you know, (laughs) but, but the way I have to look at it, I could relapse tomorrow. Heck I could relapse today, especially with like all this book publicity and the tour and being on TV. I have to be on TV tomorrow. And I just, it makes me crazy and I have to really hold on to my sobriety and my recovery and put it at the top or it could happen, you know, any minute. When you think about the things that you learned about yourself um, as a result of the relapse, you, you certainly became clearly more clear that uh, taking just one drink and telling yourself that that was going to be okay if it got to be 10 or 15 but maybe you'd stop at 16 for example right right what were some of the other things that you learned about yourself and and part of why I ask that is that there's often so much shame and blame that society and the individual place with respect to the fact of alcoholism and I'm just wondering how you managed all of that you know when I first got sober I really got um, commended for it and uh, like my friends and my church and I would write articles and people like, Oh, you're so great. Thank you for sharing. And you're such a hero. And um, super sobriety girl was kind of the joke that I had in my head. Like I had a little cape with an S on it (laughs) and um, in my head, not for real. (laughs) I kind of want that cape now though. Like, (laughs) for real but anyhow um I understand yeah you get (laughs) we all need a cape um I I really did get lauded for all these things and I think sort of deep down I started to be like yeah like I'm all that in the bag of chips look at me super sobriety girl um but then when I relapsed I was like failure fail you know like (laughs) we are no longer paying attention and you messed up and this is no longer cool and um it was just kind of shameful and embarrassing to admit i had to talk to it to people that you know the look in their eyes was was there was pain and there was anger and it was so hard and yet i did it and and what i learned i learned two things actually was that you can really go you know, to that bottom place where you are just a mess and awful and really needing help and it's okay. And, and you're not going to die. Like I just hated to ask for help. I still do. 
I hated to reach out. I hated to be needy, quote unquote. Um, I had to learn the difference between being needy and just needing help. And I found myself in a place where I really, I, I just kind of picture that Dana as just, just sitting on the floor, uh, just a lump of despair. And, and that's okay. Like, holy cow, I didn't die from that. I didn't die from the embarrassment or the shame. And, and I moved on. And so um, for me, pride is a huge thing. And like I talked about the perfection, right? I want everyone to see Dana as with it and together and, you know, everything. She's got the perfect little life with, with her kids in tow. And she's in recovery even. You can still be in perfect recovery. Like you can be cute and you go for your morning run and you have your key and you make sure and post about it on Instagram. And then you have a hashtag, recovery rocks, you know. Well, it's not always like that. There are some mornings where you're in a lousy mood and recovery's hard and you're kicked off and you don't want to go to a meeting. And it's not always this happy little Instagram moment. And we need to be able to talk about that too. Um, there's a lot of push on social media for recovery, which is great. I love it. Um, but you don't often see those moments where people are like, I went to a meeting and it was awful and I cried for like three hours and I have a sty in my eye because I've been crying so much and I just want to drink. Dang it, people. And and you don't see that. And and so we do, I think that, that would help to get that out there as well. That's the first thing I learned. I survived the embarrassment, the shame, and I am continuing to do so. Um, and I don't write about, like if I write about recovery, sometimes I write about how it's sucky at times. And, and there are times when it's just hard. Like I'm not going to tell you that recovery is easy because it's not. And there's times when I'd really like to have 50,000 cocktails to get through an, an event. Like today I have to go to a big potluck with like our entire congregation and I'm not, I'm an introvert and I'm tired. I didn't get a lot of sleep and to be honest with you, uh, there's not, I do not want to do it. And I, you know, I'm not going to drink over it, but there's that little alcoholic voice that says, wow, this would be a lot better with one glass of wine prior. And so that's recovery for you. You have to work through that. And it's annoying as heck sometimes. So that's the first thing I learned. And the other thing I learned was for me, I don't know if this will apply to everyone, but for me, depression and anxiety was something that I thought would lift when I got sober. And guess what? It didn't entirely and it got a lot better, and I would never go back to saying drinking made it better because um, I self-medicated with – that was one of the main reasons I drank a lot was because of depression and anxiety. Um, but I still deal with it, and I had to find that out again and go, oh, wait, you mean like I'm still going to have to look this in the eye and look at depression and go, you're here and you're a part of me, and I can't just kick you out altogether? Nope it's just a part of my life and a part of my tendency and temperament and, and that's okay. You know, Dana, I know that you have a blog. Can you tell us a little bit about your blog? Yeah, I have Momsy blog. Um, M O M S I E B L O G. I started Momsy um, way back. I was, I was sober when I started it, but I didn't write about sobriety and momhood. I just wrote about funny mom stuff. And I had a friend that I was whining to one day and saying, everyone and their dog has a blog. There's like 50 million mom blogs out there. Who's going to want to read this stuff? And she goes, yeah, but Dana, you're funny. Like you make moms laugh and they need that. 
And so I started writing, and lo and behold, people liked it and laughed, and I laugh when I write. <laughs> I still go back and read some of my old posts. I'm like, yep, still funny, like <laughs> good stuff. <laughs> and um, and but then lo and behold, after a while, it's like I need to write about the sober part too because that's who I am, and this blog is all about who I am, and I. I just can't keep it, quote, under wraps anymore. So I came out, talked about that. And that's when the blog really started to kind of go crazy. People really liked it. So I don't talk about recovery all the time. Mostly it's just funny stuff that my kids just did that are driving me crazy. But And my pets and my husband. Um, but then recovery is a part of it, too. Dana Bowman, author of how to be perfect like me did i get the title correct dana you got it yeah you got it terrific <laughs> how to be perfect like me by dana bowman thank you so much for joining us to get today and again dana's blog is momsyblog.com m-o-m-s-i-e-b-l-o-g.c-o-m and you can get information about all of the books that, that uh, dana has written right there at the blog. Dana, again, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. And folks, thank you for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service, and it is not intended to replace any work that you may choose to do with a mental health, medical health, or other health professional. You can listen to Mind Talk on demand by going to mindtalk.org. That's M Y N D T A L K dot O R G. And if you'd like to send an email to me directly, that's Pamela, P A M E L A, at M Y N D T A L K dot O R G. And folks, remember always if it's unacceptable, then it's unacceptable. Take care. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.